0: To Discover Health, where we help you take control of your health so you can transform your life. Your host, functional medicine expert, Dr. Trish Murray, is on a mission to help every baby boomer age with dignity and grace. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Trish Murray, physician best-selling author and the Health Catalyst speaker. Welcome to today's podcast entitled Research Showing Proof-of-Concept for Functional Medicine Approach to Cognitive Decline. You see, cognitive decline, folks, is an enormous problem uh, all over the world. And there is more and more research coming out to show proof of concept that functional medicine or a holistic approach or an individualized holistic approach to many different multi-system dysfunctions is a much better approach to address the complex disease of cognitive decline or Alzheimer's disease than continuing to search in, in the medical field for the magic pill that is going to solve the problem. So the purpose of this podcast is to share with you a specific research article. And the title of the article is Precision Medicine Approach to Alzheimer's Disease Successful Proof of Concept Trial. So what this is, is it's a journal article, Uh, And I'm going to go through the article with you and explain the information in this article. Again, the title, Precision Medicine Approach to Alzheimer's Disease, Successful Proof of Concept Trial. So the abstract of this article uh, states that the objective is to deter of the study they did. So this is a research study that was done. It's not a really large research study because the point is they're using a small study group. Again, the purpose of this study is simply to show proof of concept so that if proof of concept is shown, that would then trigger larger studies. So the objective of this study is to determine whether a precision medicine or basically a functional medicine holistic medicine approach to Alzheimer's disease and mild cognitive impairment in which potential contributors to cognitive decline are identified and targeted therapeutically and then addressed is effective enough in a proof of concept trial to warrant a larger randomized controlled clinical trial. So the hypothesis of all of this is testing the functional medicine approach and to see if Alzheimer's because the thought is in the functional medicine approach in the holistic approach that Alzheimer's disease is really a very multifactorial level of dysfunctions throughout the network of the entire body that results from a chronic or repeated insufficiency of support for the brain's neuroplasticity. Thus, factors that increase demand such as infections, toxin exposure or hormone imbalance uh, or energetic imbalances may contribute to the neurodegenerative processes that lead to Alzheimer's disease. Now, rectifying this hypothesis network dysfunction represents a rational approach to the treatment of cognitive decline associated with Alzheimer's disease and particularly mild cognitive impairment. So This study was set up, and again, it's not a huge uh, robust study because again, the point is to do a smaller study first and to show proof of concept. So this study's methods, there were 25 total participants in the study, all of which had either been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease Or mild cognitive impairment, which are two different levels of cognitive decline. The the 25 patients were between the ages of 50 and 76 years old. And they were recruited uh, through three different clinical sites, two of which were in California, one of which is in Oregon. And they obviously are clinical sites that are functional medicine based and approaching cognitive decline from this functional medicine, holistic, precision-based approach. Now, out of the 25 patients, 13 were women and 12 were men. And they all completed the study. Now, four of them were, this is important, we talk about the genetics of Alzheimer's disease. And APOE4 is a genetic marker uh, that puts person at the highest risk for cognitive decline and Alzheimer's disease. So four of the people in of the 25 people, four were homozygous for ApoE4, which means they had two genes, one from their mother, one from their father, both with ApoE4. That's put someone at the highest risk for Alzheimer's disease genetically. Eight of the 25 people were heterozygous for ApoE4, which means they had one gene of ApoE4 and the other was not ApoE4. 11 of the 25 were homozygous for ApoE3, and two were heterozygous for ApoE2 and ApoE3, which those genetics put a person at less risk for the development supposedly, theoretically, of Alzheimer's disease. Now, in studies, we talk about the inclusion criteria and the exclusion criteria, like who was allowed to be included and what certain things kept people from being able to be included. So the inclusion criteria was, again, age 45 to 76 years. They needed to have cognitive impairment as demonstrated by a number of different tests. One is a test that their family members fill out, noticing if, they're, if, if family members are noticing consistent issues with their cognition. Another is called the, the Montreal uh, Cognitive Assessment Test, MOCA test. And if someone scored between 19 and 26, that's usually consistent with uh, some cognitive decline mild cognitive decline, or possibly moderate cognitive decline. Also, there were two other tests someone could take called the CNS vital signs or uh, a neurocognitive index. These are, again, different tests that showed a person's problems with cognitive uh, function. And they were deemed, with these tests, as having either mild cognitive impairment or dementia. Now the exclusion criteria, like who was not able to be part of the study? Well, if someone's MOCA score was less than 19, that puts someone at a much further along in the dementia process. So they would be more moderate to Severely along the Alzheimer's spectrum, and though so, if they scored worse than a 19 on the MoCA test, they actually were excluded from this study. And one of the reasons for that, folks, is to you've got to understand that if someone is really, really far along in the Alzheimer's disease process, their ability to be able to do all of the holistic steps of that we're going to talk about here are not possible or optimal. And so their ability to really reverse the process is not going to possibly show up in a small study at, with a limited amount of time. So to try and have the study be fair to the level of dementia or of cognitive decline being assessed, people with too advanced a disease were not accepted into this study. If someone had uncontrolled major illnesses such as seizures or heart disease or cancer or a major psychiatric diagnosis that affected their daily living those things would as you would assume would disrupt their ability to carry out what's recommended and so they were excluded from the study also if someone had ongoing statin use meaning they were on a statin medication to lower cholesterol chronically, uh, they were excluded from this study. Ongoing anticoagulation for any reason was avoided. If someone on an MRI of their brain showed particular diseases, such as a brain tumor or uh, MS or a traumatic brain injury, these were reasons to exclude someone because, of course, those are possibly other factors causing their cognitive decline. So that's not going to be a fair assessment of whether they could improve with a holistic approach. So again, this is very common type things in, in research studies to have inclusion criteria and exclusion criteria. Now. The evaluation um, involved the genetic testing I already went over and also an elaborate level of biochemical tests and biomarkers. And I'm gonna read off some of the uh, blood work tests that were done with people in the study. And that, this will give you an idea of the broad array of biochemical markers that are tested in this more holistic functional medicine, precision medicine approach. So some of them included markers for insulin resistance, uh, hemoglobin A1C was included, an advanced lipid panel, including a C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation, The homocysteine was tested, which is also a marker for inflammation in the blood vessels, as well as whether a person's uh, detoxification system is having problems. Fibrinogen is another marker that was tested and can have to do with iron storage, but also is an inflammation marker. All the participants were tested for chronic infections such as herpes simplex type 1 or herpes simplex type 2, Epstein-Barr virus. They were also tested for Lyme and other co-infections that can go along with Lyme. They were also tested for hepatitis C virus or HIV. A full comprehensive stool analysis was done on every single participant to look look at their microbiome and look for gut pathogens to evaluate the digestion and absorption of their gut uh, to make sure that their gut is functioning optimally. Hormone regulation was evaluated with serum levels of estrogens such as estradiol, progesterone, pregnenolone, DHEA, testosterone, sex hormone binding globulin and prostate specific antigen in men. The thyroid was evaluated with a TSH, a free T3, a free T4, and a reverse T3. Nutrient levels were assessed, levels of vitamin D, levels of magnesium, levels of zinc, levels of copper, levels of lipoic acid, levels levels of CoQ10. The omega-3 index was done to assess a person's level of omega-3 fatty acids in their their blood. A ratio of between omega-6 fatty acids, which are much more inflammatory, to the level of omega-3 was also looked at. Heavy metals were tested. Biotoxins for mold exposure or biotoxic uh, illness from mold exposure was tested. Autoimmune markers were looked at. A a sleep apnea study was done at home with looking at nocturnal uh, oxygen levels in the blood. So as you can see folks, this is an elaborate array of tests that was done on each and every one of the 25 people in this study. They also each had a MRI of their brain And what's called volumetrics were performed on their brain from the MRI, meaning you take an MRI image of the structures of the different parts of the brain, and you actually measure the size of the hippocampus. You measure the size of the overall brain and the different parts of the brain. And this was done in the initial evaluation before the study began and again at the completion of the nine-month treatment protocol. So the treatment protocol in this research study was nine months long. So then what did the treatment involve? So once all the evaluation was completed, patients were treated for nine months with a very personalized precision medicine protocol that addressed each patient's identified potentially contributory factors based on all those markers that were measured. And cognition was assessed with one of those MOCA tests or other cognitive assessment tests at the very beginning, at the three-month marker, the six-month marker, and the nine-month marker. And the goal was to identify and address the factors associated theoretically and epidemiologically with Alzheimer's-related cognitive decline. So they work to improve insulin resistance, improve someone's cholesterol, decrease their inflammation, focus on optimization of balance of their hormones, improve their, uh, eliminate toxins and so on based on each person's dysfunctions or imbalances. The treatment team for each patient, each patient went to a clinic that had a team approach, including a health coach, a nutritionist, a physical trainer, as well as a physician like myself. So what did the treatment, you know, what are the different facets of the treatment in this approach to cognitive decline improvement and overall approach of a holistic approach to improving someone's cognitive decline? So I'm going to take you through the research here. In the article, they addressed all of the following. They addressed diet, and the key points to the diet that was followed. It was a diet that was plant-rich, high in fiber, mildly ketogenic, full of leafy greens and other non-starchy vegetables, high in unsaturated fats, and a fasting period of from between 12 and 16 hours every night from the time you last eat in the evening to the next morning. Avoidance of processed foods, avoiding simple carbohydrates, gluten and dairy were completely avoided and eliminated from the people's diets. Blood ketone levels were monitored with a finger stick ketone meter with a goal of from one to four millimeters of beta-hydroxybutyrate. Beta-hydroxybutyrate is an actual ketone that can be measured in the blood to see if someone is in ketosis or not. So that's the first thing, diet. Next, exercise. Both aerobic and strength training were encouraged for at least 45 minutes a day, at least six days per week. High intensity interval training was recommended a minimum of twice per week. Sleep. Sleep hygiene was supported to ensure seven or eight hours of quality sleep per night, and all patients without known sleep apnea were tested over several nights using home sleep study devices to see if they possibly had sleep apnea. If someone was found to have sleep apnea, they obviously were treated for it with some sort of uh, air pressure device, like a CPAP device. Stress, different modalities like heart rate variability and biofeedback uh, levels and heart math were used to help people on a da- with a daily practice to manage their stress. Next, brain training was carried out using Brain HQ, a HIPAA uh, compliant platform that for a minimum of 15 minutes daily, each participant was expected to go on and train on the 29 cognitive exercises that target speed and accuracy of information processing on brain HQ. Next, hormones and nutrients. For those people found to have suboptimal hormonal status, of course, sometimes medications or supplements were used in order to balance their hormones. If they were found to have vitamin deficiencies, then they were put on supplementation or dietary uh, modifications in order to optimize their overall nutritional and hormone status. Gastrointestinal health. For those with gastrointestinal, either leaky gut or infections or inflammation, steps were taken through diet and medications and supplements to optimize their gut health. Inflammation. Those with evidence of systemic inflammation Uh, were put, again, on dietary changes to reduce inflammation, supplementation to reduce inflammation. And if someone had autoimmune disease, they were prescribed low-dose naltrexone, which is known to help modify the immune system in people with autoimmune disease. If someone was found to have infectious processes like herpes simplex, or Epstein-Barr, they, again, were evaluated with physician. And if they needed treatment for Lyme or any of these types of infections, they were treated uh, accordingly. Toxins and toxicants, again, if they were found to have heavy metals or other organic pollutants or exposure to mold with biotoxins, then appropriate treatment modalities like sauna or herbs or other uh, modifications in their diet or prescription medications were uh, utilized to address the individual needs. All right, now, what were some of the results? So, as we went through this again, and they were tested at at the zero marker at the beginning, three months, six months, and nine months, 21 of the 25 patients, which is 84%, were rated as improved by their study partners, meaning their family that answered a questionnaire about their cognitive abilities at the beginning. 84% of the 25 people in the study were shown to have improved significantly based on their family's uh, interpretation or observation of how they were doing at the beginning versus at the end. And if folks listening are familiar with the p-value of a research study, that result right there had a p-value of 0.0005, which is extremely statistically significant in their improvement in that facet. Another result was this uh, CNS vital signs or other cognitive tests that was done at the beginning, three months, six months, and nine months. The uh, neurocognitive index was one of the tests that they could do. And the result here was it's Folks in the study who did the neurocognitive index showed an increase from the 38th percentile to the 63rd percentile, which indicates an improvement that is, again, highly statistically significant for improvement over the nine-month period. 21 of the 25 patients improved their CNS vital signs score one of the patients had an unchanged score, two declined and one was considered invalid. So overall though, you still had 84% improvement in that test. Now the Montreal cognitive assessment test is a different cognitive assessment test and everybody took all these different tests you know, zero, three, six, and 9 months. Focusing on the Montreal Cognitive Assessment Test, the MOCA test, of the 25 patients, 19 of them, 76%, improved their score. Three, which is 12%, showed decline in their score. And three, which is 12%, were unchanged. And these results are compatible with those in the other types of tests, meaning... The tests are showing consistent levels of change, and this is highly st- statistically significant that all the different tests are correlating with the responses and, and the effect of the patients. Now let's talk about the brain MRI with volumetric quantification. Remember, they had a brain MRI in the very beginning that measured the sit- the different sizes of different parts of the brain with the volumetric quantification. And it looks at the overall brain tissue. So what did they find here? This is very interesting. The gray matter volumes of the trial patients were increased over the nine months by a mean of 0.3%. Now, you might say to yourself, increase by only 0.3%. That's not much at all. But let's compare. Longitudinal gray matter volumes typically decrease by an average of 0.8 to 0.9 per year for those that do not have cognitive decline. Meaning, folks, we all are declining in our gray matter volumes over time. But what you saw in these 25 patients in this study is they did not decline in the nine months, they actually had an increase. That's amazing. The other thing that's amazing is that gray matter volumes in people with Alzheimer's typically decline by 2.2 to 2.37% on an annual basis, and these people had either a diagnosis of mild cognitive decline or Alzheimer's when they started the study, and over a nine-month period, instead of decreasing their gray matter volume, their overall brain tissue, by, you know, 2 to 2.3 percent, they increased their volume by 0.3 percent. That's a very statistically significant piece of information. Also with the brain MRI volumetric quantification, they measured the volume of the hippocampus. The hippocampus is a very specific part of the brain that is very related to cognitive stability and cognitive function. It's the most important part. So hippocampal volumes of the trial patients were decreased at it, were decreased in an annualized rate of 1.29%. So they did decrease. However, folks, let's look at this reality. Uh, You know, what does this mean in comparison to normal people or people with Alzheimer's disease and what's truly normally expected? So for comparison, hippocampal volumes decrease in patients with mild cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease, typically at an annualized rate of 3.5 to 4.66%. So three and a half to four and a half percent is the typical volume decrease in people with cognitive dysfunction. The people in this trial only decreased their hippocampal volume in the in the nine months of this trial by 1.29 percent. That's much less than the average. In cognitively stable controls, people with average and not cognitive decline, their hippocampal volume typically decreases in an annual rate of 1.4 to 1.73. So folks, these people in this study decrease their hippocampal volume less than a person that that would have been expected to decrease their hippocampal volume, even if they don't have cognitive decline. Wow. So The results of this proof-of-concept trial support the performance of a larger randomized controlled clinical trial. There were the magnitudes of effects, proportion of patients improved, and combination of improvements observed here in the MOCA scores, the CNS vital sign scores, uh, the MRI volumetrics have not been reported in other studies and is showing reason to believe that this approach a holistic, functional medicine approach is a very effect, possibly very effective and way to be looking at the, a treatment for cognitive decline. You see, the dominant theory over the past 30 years has been that amyloid buildup, or what's called the amyloid cascade hypothesis. But numerous antibodies targeting the amyloid, the associated amyloid, have failed to improve cognition. Meaning, medicines that have been studied to try and block the building up of amyloid beta, uh, you know, in the brain, as the ultimate cause of Alzheimer's, have failed. Recent trial that failed to improve cognition or halt decline, nevertheless slowed decline. It, it, it's just there isn't a pill that has ever been shown to reverse Alzheimer's progression. This study, however, seems to be showing that there is hope that if we approach things from a more functional, uh, multi-factorial, multi-system approach to cognitive decline, people are seeing benefits. So the analysis involved is more comprehensive than is currently in use in memory centers. The data sets collected more extensive, the behavioral alterations required for the patients more demanding, and that you do have to realize, you need to be ready to face the demands of this approach. And if you're not interested in addressing all of these things in your life, then this is not an approach for you. The time required by the team of practitioners is much greater, and the cost is significant, although the cost is far less than the cost of assisted living facilities and nursing homes that people are filling due to Alzheimer's disease. So this is what I wanted to do in this particular podcast, is review this particular article entitled Precision Medicine Approach to Alzheimer's Disease successful proof of concept trial with the idea that I hope this has helped you see and understand some of the research showing proof of concept for a functional or holistic medicine approach to cognitive decline. Discover Movement will enhance your mobility, build strength, improve balance, and enable you to move with confidence and ease. To register, please visit our Discover Health online shop at members.discoverhealthfmc.com. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the episode and the Discover Health Functional Medicine Center, visit us on our website, discoverhealthfmc.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will join us again next time so you can truly live and play as long as you want.